When Jesus claimed to be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, some of the people who knew him tried to throw him off a cliff. Pastor Trent applies that to us today. There's really only two options. You're either gonna throw Jesus off a cliff or you're gonna follow him to the cross. Every time we encounter Jesus, we're responsible to respond with faith and repentance so that all things are made new. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So do you have anything old and worn out in your house? I'm not talking about a valuable antique that you've inherited from your grandmother. I'm talking about things like an old pair of shoes that are falling apart, or maybe a worn out pair of jeans that desperately need to hit the trash. Well, spiritually speaking, all of us are worn out. Things need replacing. And that's why it's great news that Jesus makes all things new. That's what Pastor Trent is talking about today on Resonate. He's about to review some highlights from this last week and then conclude his message. Here's Pastor Trent. Whether you have been in church for 30 years or 30 minutes, you need a new encounter with Jesus. I need a new encounter with Jesus this morning. And so we're going to pick up the story here in verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. And it says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now remember, he had just been in the wilderness, the Judean wilderness, which was in the southern part of Jerusalem, very desert land, rocky, hilly, no life. That's the wilderness. And now we see Jesus coming out of the wilderness in power into a very fertile place in northern Israel, which is known as Galilee. So here's Jesus. Today's his day. He gets to read the scripture in the synagogue. Verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And there's a dramatic pause. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Is he going to say something? Here's what he says. Verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What did he say? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What was the scripture? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed 
me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. For years, 700 years, God's people understood that Isaiah 61 was a prophecy that would predict someday, someone would come to set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, to heal the wounds of the oppressed. And did you hear what Jesus said? You don't have to wait for someday anymore. It's no longer someday. Jesus said, it's today. And in doing so, Jesus said that prophecy was about me. And here I am. And it boggled their brain. They did not know what to do. Do you see what he did? He announced there is a new day. All things are new. I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. Here's the first thing I came to tell you. Jesus declares a new day for broken people. And we are living in that day. And it is a limited time frame. If you have not yet embraced Jesus as the promised Messiah, as the one who came to set you free from sin, what are you waiting for? Your time is limited. Jesus could come back at any moment. And when he comes back, the year of the Lord's favor is over. Your opportunity to get right with God is over. Because when he comes again, the only thing that people outside of Christ will experience is the vengeance of the Lord as he settles all moral accounts, as he brings justice to every injustice, as he brings retribution and vengeance upon every sin that is not atoned for outside of Christ. It's a new day for broken people. But I want you to notice who Jesus came for. The answer to that question is found in verse 18. He describes these people in four different ways. He calls them poor, captives, blind, and oppressed. What does that mean? Understand this. Sin makes us poor. Sin takes us captive. Sin makes us blind. And sin wounds the oppressed. Now, if I had greeted you this morning by saying something like this, welcome to Gospel City Church, you poor, captive, blind, oppressed people. Would you know, like, I think I might find a different church because that's not very flattering, is it? As a matter of fact, if you are listening closely, that is offensive to strip away all of your self-esteem, to strip away all of your self-righteousness, and to call you a poor, captive, blind, oppressed person is pretty uh, offensive. 
And yet it is only broken people that will seek a savior. Until you understand your spiritual poverty, your spiritual imprisonment, your spiritual blindness, and your spiritual oppression, you will treat Jesus as an insignificant historical figure who is only useful for grandmothers and Girl Scouts. Do you have need of a Savior? Or are you doing okay on your own? Every opportunity we have to encounter Jesus is an opportunity to express how much we need him to do something new in our lives. You could admit you need a savior and believe that Jesus was the one who came to set the captives free. Notice what he said he would do. Jesus pays our debt. Yes, we're spiritually impoverished. We have nothing to offer God as payment for our sin. But notice what the Apostle Paul said. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become spiritually rich. The only way to be rich before God is to exchange your poverty for his riches because he exchanged his riches for your poverty. That's the gospel. It's what Jesus came to do. Not only that, Jesus sets us free. Romans chapter 6, the apostle Paul said, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, sin was your master, you have become obedient from the heart and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And so he set us free so that we can obey and serve him with a new level of freedom we never had before. Jesus opens our eyes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul said, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He opens our eyes to see our need for Christ. He opens our eyes to see the, the ugliness of our sin and the beauty of Christ's forgiveness as he died on that cross. And then Jesus heals our wounds. All of you oppressed, stressed people, what should you do? Listen to Jesus. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. So the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to give poor, captive, blind, oppressed people new life. All things can be new in Jesus. Now, how do you think the people in Nazareth responded to that message? Notice, pick up the story here in verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. It, Jesus became an instant pop icon. And they loved what he was saying. Gracious words. He's so eloquent. He's such a fine young boy that's grown up here in our, in our synagogue. And what a fine family he comes from. As a matter of fact, that's what they said. Uh, isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph, we've done such a great job teaching your child the scriptures here. Now, what do you think most preachers would do when they found out that they were in 
a crowd of people who thought favorably of them. Most preachers I know would take an offering at that point. It's like, hey, you know, I'm becoming popular and I can build a, an even greater following. And, and man, I can get people to, 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 you know, follow and fulfill my dreams and all this. That's not what Jesus did. Listen, Jesus was not content with their passive approval of him. He was not content to let them think he was just Joseph's son. They hadn't yet grasped that he was God's son and he was worthy of not just their passive approval, but their passionate worship. And Jesus is not content with you giving him your passive approval either. So do you know what he does? He presses in a little harder. And he realizes what was meant to offend them hadn't yet worked. So he tries a little harder to offend them. Now notice what he says in verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Here it is. Physician, heal yourself. Now, that's not one of the Proverbs we have in the Old Testament written by Solomon. It was either a saying in the town or maybe it was a part of a song lyric that was in the top 10, you know, on the Christian hits or something. I don't know. But the, what does it mean? Like, why would he say that? Christian heal, or physician heal yourself. It's just basically they were saying, why are, why are you diagnosing us? We're not sick and we don't need your medicine. That's what they were saying. And then he predicts what they would say. They said, um, what we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So remember Capernaum, up the road, Sea of Galilee. And Jesus did so many miracles in Capernaum. Matter of fact, in the second half of this chapter, you can look down there and you can see that um, one of the things that Jesus did is he cast a demon out of a possessed man. Uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law in Capernaum. Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. Jesus fed 5,000 people. Um, he helped somebody catch a miraculous amount of fish. He healed a paralytic. He healed a centurion servant. Uh, he healed a woman with the issue of blood and he healed a man with a withered hand. He did all of that in Capernaum. And they were saying, hey, this is your hometown here. Why don't you do some of those things here? Why don't you make our lives a little easier? And then we might believe that you're something more than Joseph's son. Are you like that? Do you require God to do some kind of miracle to make your life easier before you will believe who he says he is? Listen, don't follow Jesus because of what he can do for you. Follow Jesus because of who Jesus said he is. Because he is the promised Messiah that was predicted 700 years before he showed up. And so the story continues here. Jesus presses a little harder and he gives them two illustrations to really offend them. Uh, beginning in verse 24, he said, I, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Do you know what he's saying? The more familiar you are with Jesus, the more you think the message of Jesus is for somebody else. The people who were the closest to the truth 
were the ones who were prone to miss it. That's a lesson for us here. If you're one of those people that have been in church for 30 years and you've heard this message, you know how this ends and you're really good with all the Bible trivia, you, you might want to make sure that you're not an old, crusty wineskin. Jesus comes to make all things new and he wants to encounter people that are very familiar with Jesus. And so he gives them two illustrations. Verse 25 But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only one, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. What does all that mean? Well, it's a very familiar story in the Old Testament. There was a prophet in the Old Testament named Elijah. Jesus is clearly equating himself with Elijah. Like Elijah was a prophet, Jesus is saying, I'm a prophet. And like Elijah's message was rejected by people that were closest to it, you guys are in danger of missing the message that I'm giving you. And so God bypassed those who were most familiar. And do you know who he went to? He went to an outsider. The widow of Zarephath, we call her. She was a Gentile. And she had a death sentence on her. Number one, she was a widow. She had nobody to take care of her. And there was a famine in the land. There was no food. She was about to die. She had a terminal condition. Elijah shows up. She believes Elijah's message. And she's saved. Second story is about Elisha in verse 27. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. So again, another famous Old Testament story about an enemy general from Syria, the enemies of God's people. Naaman's got a problem. He's got leprosy. In order to get healed, God sends Elisha to him and tells him, you got to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. He humbles himself and he dips in the Jordan River and he believes the message and he's saved. Jesus gives two stories about two prophets who were rejected by God's people and they both went to outsiders. They both went to Gentiles. What's the message? The message is simply this. Jesus provides new access for outsiders. If you feel like an outsider, and if you're not an ethnic Jewish person, you are an outsider like I am. These promises that, that, that we lean on are, were originally met for, for the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, and because those, those precious people rejected the message, Jesus took that message outside of the Hebrew people, and thank God, we all have access to it now because Jesus brought that message to us. So Jesus provides new access for outsiders. Here's the last thing. Jesus presents a new problem for self-righteous people. Let's pick up the story in verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Oh, now Jesus is getting the reaction. At first, they liked him, passive approval. He's like, I'm not going to let you get off that easy. I'm not going to let you think that well of yourself. Now they're offended because he's telling them they're going to miss the message. 
Now, for verse 29, we're going to go on location. We have a correspondent stationed in Nazareth right now, and he's going to help us so with I'm verse 29. So I'm here in Nazareth. You can see behind me modern-day Nazareth. This is Jesus' hometown. And in Luke chapter 4, of course, we read the story of Jesus entering into the synagogue and launching his ministry from reading Isaiah chapter 61. The fulfillment of that prophecy, Jesus said, was in their midst as he read it. And they were pretty upset with him for identifying himself as that Old Testament Messiah. In fact, in verse 29, it says this. It says, they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. And so I'm standing on the very spot where they would have brought Jesus. This is the brow of the hill on which the city is built. And there's cliffs all around me here. And so this is the very spot where Jesus would have been rejected by those among his own people. So they took him to that very spot where I stood last week. And the mob is about to throw him off the cliff. The drama is building. So what's going to happen? Is Jesus going to be killed after he preaches his first sermon? Verse 30. But passing through their midst, he went away. You want a miracle, do you? How about this? The disappearing Savior just goes away. I mean, they had their hands all over him. They were about to throw him off the cliff. And in a gracious act of mercy, do you know what Jesus does? He does not allow them to act on their sinful desires. He disappears. Why did they want to throw him off the cliff? It's because they couldn't get him off their mind. He kept pressing in and pressing in. You ever try to throw Jesus off a cliff? I mean, if you're you're not going to receive Jesus, you have to try to eliminate him from your thinking. That's what they were doing. And they thought, we'll not not only eliminate, eliminate him from our thinking, we'll eliminate him altogether by throwing him off the cliff. But Jesus knew he had three more years of ministry. Do you know what he does? He allows them more time by not eliminating him. You see, Jesus knew his life was not going to end by being thrown off a cliff by them. His life was going to end three years later by being thrown on a cross for them. Jesus loved them too much to allow them to act on their evil desires. Why? Because today is a day of the Lord's favor. Jesus should have thrown them off the cliff. But in his mercy and his love, he'd opened an opportunity for them to repent and believe. That door is still open. There's really only two options. You're either going to throw Jesus off a cliff or you're going to follow him to the cross. Every time we encounter Jesus, we're responsible 
to respond with faith and repentance so that all things are made new. I want to ask you to stand right now. Bow your heads with me. And before we leave, would you just respond to what you've heard in the scripture today? If you were there in that synagogue, would you have been one of the ones who would have been brought to your knees with the thought, I am poor, I am a captive of sin, I am spiritually blind, and I'm oppressed? Or would you have been one that swelled up in pride and tried to defend yourself and justify yourself and and presented your self-esteem as a defense against what Jesus was saying about you? Listen, only those who embrace their brokenness will receive Jesus as the remedy for sin. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never done that for the very first time, if you've just in your mind tried to get Jesus as far away from your mind as possible, throw him off the cliff, poke holes in why the scripture can't be true, justify why Jesus couldn't possibly be someone who was predicted to come hundreds of years earlier. There's no way you can kill Jesus. If you try to throw him off the cliff, he lives, you die. If you follow him to the cross, he dies, you live. And three days later, he lives. Jesus, thank you for the love that you have for us. In mercy, you've opened up a door, a day of favor. And Lord, we know that time's running out. And when you come again, you won't declare the day of the Lord's favor. You'll declare that the time is up and the vengeance has come. God, I pray that every person here in a genuine act of faith would trust you as Savior, as Lord, and for those of us that this is very familiar, God, never let us become old, crusty wineskins. Fill us up with new power, new worship, new victory over sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are loved. truth of the gospel is that Jesus makes everything new. That's something that Trent Griffith has been reminding us of today on Resonate. You know, once Jesus does that transforming work in your heart, you need to keep growing spiritually. And there are a lot of tools that God gives us to help us grow. One very important tool is getting together on a regular basis with his people. In other words, going to church. If you're wanting to get into the habit of attending a solid church, why not look into Gospel City Church? We'd love to have you visit for a worship service. For more information about service times and locations, just go to our website, mygospelcity.org. You can click or tap where it says, I'm new here. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And why not follow us on Facebook when you search for Gospel City Church? Well, all of us label ourselves, don't we? 
Besides our actual names, we tend to put ourselves into a lot of different categories. Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will show us a category that applies to every follower of Jesus. I hope you can join us then. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that the transforming power of God's Word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.